Welcome to Hope City Church, Melbourne, Australia. Stay tuned for another inspiring message by Pastor Andrew McGrath. First story is about, about a shepherd that goes looking for a lost sheep. A hundred sheep he has and one, one strays and he goes looking for the sheep. The second story is about a lost coin. Ten coins, a woman owns, she loses one. She searches the house to find that lost coin. And that's you. You're the lost coin and the lost sheep. And the third one is a story about two sons and a father. And that's what I want to pick up today. It's called in, in, in Christian circles, the prodigal son. And so we're going to look at this passage today and see what God is saying to you. So are you ready? Yes. Great. Luke 15, verse 11. And, and so he said, this is Jesus, there was a man who had two sons. These two sons, this whole story is a picture about creation. So it's a picture of God and all of mankind. So once man, uh, once the garden was finished and, and Adam rejected God, this is a picture of that. There are two responses to God. There is the religious response and the other response which rejects God. So mankind is, is put in those two camps. Some try to get to God through their religious works, working harder and harder, going to church, doing the good, all the good things. And there's another group of people that totally reject God and say, I don't want you in my life. One group are trying to get God into their life through their good behavior. And the other group are trying to reject God and saying, I don't believe you and I don't want you. Two sons and a father. And the youngest of them said to his father, Father, give me the share of property that's coming to me. And so the father divided his property between them. Do you know one thing about God? He won't stop you making decisions. You can decide to do anything in your life. God's not going to stop you. God has given you a free will. And these two sons, we see the story where the younger one came to the father and said, I want my inheritance. Now this was a, a really unusual thing for this day because normally sons waited for their father to get really old until he couldn't manage his estate and then their inheritance would be divided or they'd wait for the father to die. So this young son is saying to his father, I wish that you were dead and out of my life. I want my inheritance. Wow. The inheritance was divided. The young son got a third and in those days, the oldest son would get two-thirds. So if there was 100 sheep, the oldest son got 67, the youngest one got 33. It was divided. Whatever you want in life, that's what you're going to get. If you want God in your life, he'll come in. If you don't want him, he won't. You're a product of your decisions. This young son was incredibly impatient. Impatience and youth sort of go together, don't they? If you've ever been driving and you like, we go to Canberra every now and again and we tell our kids, particularly when they were younger, you know, it's, it's about eight hours drive and, you know, or, or however many kilometres and you, you just get outside the skirts of Melbourne and you'd hear this, this sound from the back of the, the car and you all know what it is. Are we there yet? And Dad would say, nearly. But that's, that's part of being young, impatience. The blessing that was on this young son, this blessing that was reserved for his life was way too big for him and he was unprepared for it. 
He should have stayed under the covering of his father until he was ready. But it was way too big for him. And often people want, particularly when we're younger, we want God to do things in our life that we're not prepared for. And we should be waiting. And that's a word for some people today. You're, you're frustrated with God because you haven't got all that you want. But the issue is, are you prepared to wait? Anyway, good question. Because the issue is that whenever you get something too soon, you'll always end up by wasting it. And that's the issue with this young son. He wanted something from his father. He got it and he ended up by wasting it. Verse 13 says, Not many days later, the young son gathered all his possessions and he took a journey into a far country. And there he squandered his property in reckless living. It's interesting because that word squandered literally means to scatter into the air. He sowed into that which could never take root. When you sow into the air, there's nothing can take root. You're supposed to sow into the ground. But he took everything he had and he sowed it into the air and he reaped nothing from it. And this is the, the reality is that when we don't have God in our life, whatever we sow into will never bear fruit. You'll sow, it'll be taken. You'll buy a new car thinking that that's the answer to life. That's, that will give me satisfaction. We sow into it and it dissipates. Yeah. We think, oh, oh, I know what I need. I just need a new wife. And so we get rid of the old one, we get a new one and we sow into that and it's gone. Yeah. See, so many people in life are sowing into things that can never bear fruit looking for things to find satisfaction, and they've bypassed the whole point of life. So he sows in, into reckless living. What an amazing thought. He sows into that which is fleeting, and now he's reaping all these bad decisions. You may have met people like that, but they don't realize that all their sowing is now coming back to bear fruit in their life, and it's bad fruit. And it says in verse 14, And when he spent everything, a severe famine arose in that country, and he began to be in need. Here's the truth. You want to remember this. Life without God always, always, always leads to famine. Did you hear that? Wherever you exclude God from in your life, in that very era, you will reap a famine. It may not come immediately. Maybe he started, he went to that foreign land and he spent up big, but he kept spending and spending and eventually he was bankrupt. Yeah. It, wherever you take God out of your life, that very area will be a famine. Yeah. He spent everything and a severe famine arose in that country and he began to be in need. You know, St. John said of Jesus that he was in the beginning with God and everything was made through Jesus and in Jesus was life and that life was the light of man. Life without God is a famine. Here's the way it works. God is, it says God was in the beginning. He is the source of all life. He is the only if we want to put it, the only one in the universe that has this quality that he is the source of life, which means out of him flows life. Everyone else in life 
is designed to receive life. Everything else is a life taker. So when we are created in the world and when we go to objects or things or people that don't generate life, it just saps life from us. So that's the reason why you can buy a new car and we think it gives life, but within two weeks, three weeks, the smell's gone, the novelty's worn off and that which we thought was bringing life is now taking life because we have to meet the repayments. (laughs) Famine. God is the only one that is self-generating. He is the self for other God. He's the only one that can bring life. And when you spend all you have, you'll get to a place where you realize that that which I've been sowing into is not bringing me life. And you know the bizarre thing is that most people never ever ask themselves, why am I doing these things and why am I getting these results? It's like they're just playing the same tune over and over and over and over again, not realizing that there's something wrong in their life. Life without God doesn't work. And when you sow into this sort of lifestyle where you reject God and say, I don't need you in my life, let me tell you, you will always come up short. You will always experience a famine. So the crowd's gone, the party's over, and this youngest son is in terrible need. Verse 15, it says, He went and then he then hired himself out to one of the citizens of that country who sent him into the fields to feed pigs. Interesting, isn't it? He connected up with one of the citizens. This citizen doesn't have a name. He's Mr. No Name. He lives in the shadows. He's invisible. Why is it like this? Why is it that most people, many people believe in God, but they don't believe in the devil? He does his best works in the shadow. See, the world lives like they don't have an enemy, like there is no devil in the world. They're they're totally oblivious. And that's where he does his best work. He is at work because the Bible says that the devil comes to steal from you, to kill you and to destroy you. But Jesus said, I have come that you'd have life. And so we're sowing, 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 connecting with the the, the work of the enemy. He's at work in your life, and we don't even realize that he is taking us down. So this young man connects himself with one of these citizens. You know, I heard this statement, and it's so true. The ignorance of the oppressed is strength for the oppressor. Did you hear that? The ignorance of the oppressed is strength for the oppressor. Satan is very happy for you to believe that he doesn't exist. That's where he does his best work. So this man sowing, 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 he's in famine, and then he reaches out to this citizen, but this citizen has an agenda. He wants to take him down. He wants to destroy him. He wants to kill him. He wants to take life from him. He promises much but delivers little. This young son, his life is a series of bad, bad decisions. He's feeding pigs, and life's so bad that even the slops begin to look good. Isn't it interesting that what used to disgust him, he now tolerates? And you know you're going down a a bad journey where you are now beginning to tolerate what previous years used to disgust you. 
I wonder if there are people here today that you are now tolerating things in your life that previously you never would have put up with. Maybe today you're tolerating sickness in your body. Years ago, you believed that God was your healer. And now you've become disgruntled. You've stopped believing. Maybe years ago, you believed that God was your provider. And now you're tolerating poverty. Maybe years ago, you believed that God wanted you to live a pure and a holy life. And now you're tolerating all sorts of stuff. What used to disgust you, you now tolerate. The other interesting thing about this, he's feeding something that was a curse to the Jews, something that took life. What is it you, that today that you are feeding that's taking life from you? What are the things that you are holding close to that you keep feeding, but it's really robbing you of all your energy in your life? Are you feeding addictions today? Are you feeding pornography? Are you feeding greed and fear? What is it today that's robbing you of God's best for your life? This guy, he's feeding pigs. A pig is supposed to feed you. You're not supposed to feed the pig. You were designed for more than that. What is it that you're feeding in your life? What is it that's taking from your life? You were designed for greatness. You were designed to be the head and not the tail. When God created mankind, he created us to be just a little lower than him. He created us to be men and women of incredible character and doing great mighty things for him. But what are you feeding? You're feeding small vision now. You're feeding fear. This is what this guy was doing. He rejected his father. He, He didn't want greatness in his life and he did it his own way and now... He's feeding pigs. Interesting. Verse 16, it says, And he was longing to be fed with the pods that the pigs ate. That's, that's when you know you've had a bad day. <laughs> and nobody gave him anything. And this is, the, this is the deal. The more you follow Satan's plan for your life, the more you'll begin to realize that he really doesn't care about you. Nobody gave him anything. He's trying to satisfy a legitimate need in his life using an illegitimate source. You need to hear today that, that whatever you eat that's not designed by God is never going to satisfy you. We are all born with hunger in our hearts. See, God has shaped mankind that we have this inherent need for someone greater than ourselves. Yeah. Did you hear that? Yeah. That's the way you're designed. You are born to be satisfied. You're born hungry. You're born, you know, the first thing a baby does when it comes out the womb, it screams because it wants to be fed and it wants to be nurtured. And those same characteristics stay with us for the rest of our life. You're born to be satisfied. The problem's not that we're hungry. The problem is that we're trying to fulfill our hunger with illegitimate means. And it always ends in death. Pig pods are not designed for human consumption. It's a bit like pet food. And it breaks God's heart that people would try and satisfy their hunger, their spiritual hunger, with sport, with gambling, with all these crazy things. And we don't step back and think, you know, I've eaten today and I feel just as hungry as when I started. Now, wouldn't you think it's strange that if you came to my house and 
my wife loves to cook amazing, massive roast dinners, and there's always food left over. And there's one thing about it at our house. When you eat, you never leave the table hungry. The, the worst thing that can happen is to be invited to someone's house. Of course, no one here. And, and you get there, and they just put like, you know, you look at your plate, and there's like half a potato and, you know, one mouthful of meat. And, and so you know when you go to those people's houses, you eat before you go. But when you come to my house, there's so much food at the table, nobody leaves hungry. Amen. And yet in life, we can eat every day and never ask ourselves, why am I still hungry? Why am I still unsatisfied? Why, when I go to bed at night, why am I still anxious, uptight, worried, concerned? Why do I feel unfulfilled? That's what happens when you eat pig pods. Now, here's the thing to think about. If all these bad decisions led him to a pig pen, here's where I'm really clever, right? If all these bad decisions lead to a pig pen, what will happen if he starts making some good decisions? They'll lead you out of the pig pen. I know it's profound, but that's how simple life is. All the bad decisions that you've made to reject God, if it's that, or to live life in your own power and your own strength, all those decisions can be changed today with one decision. And that's why God says, because he knows that, well, maybe he was just speaking to me, but he says in the scripture, I put before you life and death, blessing and curses. And then he says, choose life. Choose life. And it's as simple as that today. The Bible says today is the day of your salvation. That word salvation means to be saved, to be forgiven by God, but it also means to be healed and to be delivered. You are just one choice away from God showing up and totally changing your life. One decision. So he sat in the pig pen and and thought to himself, I'm feeding pigs, I'm eating their slops, There's got to be more to life. I'm getting out of here. What a day that was. When he made a decision, there's got to be more. I wonder today in your heart whether God is at work. And you know when God's at work because you feel this, for me, it's it's like he's got this invisible glove and he reaches into your heart and he gives it a little squeeze. And it's like, oh, oh. I think something's going on inside. I feel this this urgency. I feel this restlessness that God is at work. We may not know it's God, but you feel something on the inside. That's called God's Spirit. God has sent His Holy Spirit to speak to us. So He uses people like me, the Word of God spoken, and He takes that Word and He begins to operate on your heart and begin to speak to you. And that's what happened to this man. He's in the pig pen And he hears the voice of God, you're better than this. I've got plans for you. I've got plans of hope and future. I I want you to succeed in life. This is not what I designed you to do. There's more for you. And he made a decision in the pig pen. How many people are ready to make good decisions today in all of life? Verse 17. It says, but when he came to himself, or some translations say, when he came to his senses, 
What a great day that was. When he came to himself, he said, How many of my father's servants have more than enough bread and I'm here perishing with hunger? Wow. What a good, good decision. He's saying, you know what? In my father's house, even the servants have so much food that there's always something left over. That's the, he's talking about the goodness of the father. The father wants to bless you, wants to love you, wants to set you free. He's remembering of how good it used to be. I remember those days when I was sitting at my father's table and out would come the chocolate pudding with cream and custard and ice cream. And there's always a little bit more and I could lick the spoon. And Anyway, I remember those days. And he said, you know what? I don't need to live like this. Verse 18, it says, I will get up and I'll go to my father and I will say to him, Father, I've sinned against heaven and before you. I'm not worthy to be a son. Treat me like one of your hired servants. And the truth was that he had sinned against his father. That, you know, when you look at it all, he didn't deserve to be a son. He'd done nothing really right in this whole story. And it says in verse 20, And he got up and he came to his father. This is amazing, this passage. But while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and he felt compassion and he ran and embraced him and he kissed him. Do you notice something in this scripture that his dad saw him before he saw his dad? Do you see that? It says he arose and he started coming towards his father. And when he was a long, long way off, his dad saw him. His dad had been waiting for him all that time. Every day he was there waiting for his son to come back. And his dad had the ability to see further than his son. I thought about this and I felt God say to me that Jesus sees our sin more clearly than anybody else. Yet he loves us more than anyone else. Wow. Did you hear that? Jesus knows more about you. He knows why you sin, not just how you sin. He knows why you sin. He knows the triggers that are inside your life. He knows everything about you. He sees what you don't see, yet he loves you more than anyone loves you. He loves you more than you love yourself. And he knows far more about us than we know about him. The other great thing about this passage is that God's not in a hurry to fix us. See, many of us think, well, I've got to get my life fixed up before I come to church. I, I've told our church uh, many times that when I was a printer, I would invite people to come to church and there were a lot of rascals there. You know, they were smoking joints and doing all sorts of crazy things. And you'd always hear this, you know, when I get my life fixed up, then I'll come. If I came to church, Andrew, hell would freeze over. It just would be crazy. There's too much wrong in my life. It's like saying, I'm too sick to come to hospital. It's a crazy thought. But God's not in a hurry to fix you. He's not, he doesn't want you clean before you come. Our behavior is actually not God's first priority. You notice that when the boy, this young son, comes to the father, the first priority of the father is to affirm the son and love him and embrace him. That's what God wants to do today. He, he's not saying, get all your life fixed up. He just wants one thing. He wants to embrace you and love you as you are. Wow. 
And all the behavior changes and all the stuff, all the junk in our life will change as we allow God to love us for who we are. Wow. Verse 21, And the son said to him, Father, I've sinned against heaven. I've sinned before you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. He's crying. He's weeping. And here's the thing. While he's rehearsing his repentant speech and how bad he's been, what's the father thinking about the son? I'll tell you, in case you're wondering. Jeremiah 29 verse 11 says, I know the thoughts. This is God speaking about you. I know the thoughts I have towards you. You don't know them, but I'm going to let you in on what I'm thinking about when I think about you. Is anyone interested to know what God thinks about when he thinks about you? So the son, he's crying, saying, I've stuffed up. I've left you out of my life. I've, been, I've wasted everything. I've lived so many years rejecting you, believing that you didn't exist. I'm so sorry. And this is what the father's thinking. You miserable little coot. <laughs> you took my money and you wasted it. I told you not to do it. Right, you're out. Next. No. Jeremiah 29, 11 says, I know the plans, the thoughts I have towards you, plans of a hope and of a future, to do you good and not evil. Do you know the psalmist David who wrote the Psalms, he says that God's thoughts towards us are more than all the grains of sand in all the earth. I told our church this, that, that some, I think they were Kiwi scientists, so it must be true, because the Kiwis know everything about everything. They're amazing. They said there's seven quintillion grains of sand in the world. They counted them all, calculated. And that tells us, even if they're almost right, that tells us that God has 1.5 billion thoughts for every person on the planet. And all of those thoughts are good. See, religion says God is angry, God is mad, and you've got to work hard, you've got to pray, you've got to fast, you've got to, you've got to do good deeds before God will love you. Jesus tells this parable to show us that God loves us just as we are, that he is waiting to embrace us. He's a God of love and compassion, and it's his love that transforms us. It's not our works. His love transforms us so we become like him. What an amazing thought. Do you know, I, I was thinking about this whole concept of God and the way he thinks towards us. And so many people in the earth think God is such an angry, cantankerous old man. And that's why Jesus tells his parable. In fact, leading up to Jesus, the predominant thought that man had about God was he was cross and angry. And isn't it interesting, the greatest Old Testament prophet, the last Old Testament prophet is John the Baptist. And what do they do to him? They chop his head off. And before they chop his head off, there's a story about John that he's confused. And mind you that he is Jesus' cousin. He knows all about Jesus. He baptized him. But at the end of his life, he's confused and he says to Jesus, are you the one or shall we look for another? I don't know who you are. I think John is taking on all the confusion of all the world up to the time of Jesus. They chop his head off. They remove it. 
and they put him in a tomb. You see, up to Jesus, the world had no idea. The head represents thoughts, ideas, concepts. They had no idea who God was. They'd lost their head. They lost their true knowledge of who God was. So when Jesus dies and they put him in the tomb, he died so we would get the head placed back on, the head back on the body. We would begin to understand who God truly is. That's why Jesus came, to show us the goodness of God. Religion makes God into a monster. Jesus came to put a face on the Father. He says, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. Look at the way Jesus treated people. He didn't condemn people. He says, I didn't come to condemn the world. I came to save the world. Verse 22, and the father said to the servants, this is, this is the mind of God. So the son's rehearsing how bad he is. This is what the father says. Bring out the best robe. Put it on him. Put a ring on his finger, shoes on his feet. Bring the fatted calf and kill it. Let's eat and celebrate. For this son, my son, was dead and he's now alive. He was lost and he's now found. And they began to celebrate. See, that's what heaven's like. The moment you turn towards God, any time, any time, listen, any time you make a decision towards God, all of heaven celebrates. Did you hear that? Well, you, made a, you might have made 50 dumb decisions and you find yourself in a pig pen. The moment you turn around and say yes to God, heaven erupts with joy and gladness. Look at him. Look at my son. Is it any different to us? Growing up, you know, having my kids grow up, looking at all the mistakes. You know, you put a kid on a bike and he start riding, he'd fall over, he'd graze his legs. And, and they do it over and over again. And you just keep there waiting. And for the one time when, when he got, he nailed it and he went a few, few meters and you'd celebrate and you'd say, you're amazing. <laughs> you don't go, oh, you stupid kid. You tried it once. You should have got it by now. And Jesus said, if you earthly fathers know how to give good gifts to your children, if you know how to love your children, how much more Father in heaven, how much more he loves you. See, we need, we need a whole mindset shift when it comes towards the Father. Understanding his goodness and his love. The moment you make a good decision, God backs it up. He validates it. He blesses it. He rejoices over it. He's waiting for you today to make a right choice. Whatever area, whether it's in your health, your prosperity, whether it's saying, Jesus, I need you in my life. I've lived my whole life without you. I've lived separate from you, God. I haven't understood your love. I've lived a self-centered, uh, independent life. And today I'm asking God, come into my life. I need you. I need a relationship with you. The moment you make that decision, God begins to work. The greatest decision you could ever make is to ask God to be part of your life. Yeah? Woo! So they began to celebrate. Here's the deal. The younger son made bad decisions. The older son made no decision. Think about it. Everything that was left was the older son's inheritance. He says, you've never given me a calf. You've never allowed me to have a good time. I've worked. I've, I've done all this stuff. And look how you treat me. That's religion. That's religion. 
It's, it, it keeps people in bondage where they make no choice, yeah. where they stagnate in life. Yeah. Today, you've got a decision to make. If you don't know Jesus, he's here today. And the moment you say yes to him, he will come in and transform your life. I am living proof of that. If you say yes to him, he will change you. If you say yes to him, he will change your life. It is one decision that you will never, ever, ever regret. The Bible says that he has come to give you abundant life. This young boy had lost everything, everything, and he made a decision. I'm going to go back to my father because I know he's got something good for me. And the moment he went back, his whole life changed. Jesus is telling this parable, not just for the hearers 2,000 years ago, but he's telling this parable today. He's saying, come home, come home, come home. What is home? Home is where his heart is. Home is in his heart. Home is a deep, deep relationship with Jesus. So you wake up in the morning, you know God is real. You know he's here. He's speaking to you. He's living inside you. He's giving you peace. He's giving you a sense of purpose. He speaks to you like a father. Can that happen? Absolutely for everyone. You're designed for that. So he's saying today, come home. He's calling across the mountains to the people in the pig pens. Come home. Come home. He's not going to go and get you. Here's the deal. God won't force you to come home. He stands there. He knocks on the door says, come home. But you've got to turn around. You've got to make a decision and say yes to him. The moment you say that, God will do the rest. God put the robe on. God put the ring on. God put the shoes on. But the young son had to make a choice. So I say to you today, if you don't know Jesus, come home. This is your home. This is what you're designed for, to know God. That's your home. I hear heaven saying today to people, come home. All who are weary, come home. All who are hungry, come home. All who are blind, come home. He would call out, he would, it's almost like a cry goes out from the heart of the Father. Would you come home? He's not going to force you. You can walk out here today and say, what a load of rubbish. Well, you'll just live in a famine for the rest of your life. You'll play in the slops with the pigs. You'll get to the end of your life and you'll look back and you'll think, was this what it meant to live? There's more to life than a pig pen. So I say to you, come home. If you've never asked Jesus into your heart, today's the day to do it. We're not asking you to join church. We're just saying, ask Jesus into your life. Say, Lord, if you're a real... I do this at my workplace. I say to the guys, all you have to say is this simple prayer. God, if the God that, if you are the God that Andrew is talking about, I'm opening up my life to you and I'm saying, make yourself known to me. Come into my life. Show yourself to be real. And do you know what? The moment you do that, everything will change. In fact, one young guy who I said to do that, he walked out in his backyard at night. It was dark and he lifted his hands up to the sky and he prayed that prayer and God met him. And that's the same for you today. Say, God, if you're real, I need you. There's got to be more to life. If you're real, make yourself known to me. And the moment you open your heart, God will come in. He will forgive you of all the independent living 
and he'll make his home in your life and you will never be the same again. You will know life. We're going to give you an opportunity in just a moment to pray a prayer and ask God into your life. And then when you do that, we're going to have people standing here that they're going to give you a Bible. They're going to pray for you. They're going to encourage you in your faith. We're not asking you to join this church, although it's a great church. What we're asking today is, do you know God? Have you accepted Jesus into your life? That's the issue. Not whether you go to church. Going to church doesn't make you a Christian any more than going to McDonald's makes you a hamburger, as the saying goes. It's, do you know Jesus? People who go to church don't necessarily know God. It's whether you've come home. Coming home is not coming to church. Coming home is coming to the heart of the Father. It just so happens that lots of people that know the Father come to church. So I'm asking you today, if you don't know Jesus, today's the day. So we're going to pray for those that have made that decision. And then I'm going to ask people on to my left who, today you need a miracle in your body. You're sick. You've got issues in your life. Whatever it might be, you've got, maybe there's a disease in your body or pain in your body. Jesus is here to heal you. Because he showed God to be the Father, but he also showed God to be the healer. Throughout the Gospels, Jesus is setting people free from addictions and the power of the devil in their life. He's healing their bodies and he's introducing them to the Father. He did them all. That's called the kingdom of God or the, or the area or the way God works, the rule of God in our life. He heals us, he delivers us, and he saves us. So today, we're going to give you an opportunity to be healed and touched by God, but we're also going to get, give you an opportunity to receive Jesus as your Lord and Savior. So as we finish today, I'm asking that, and we do this not because it's religious, but because it helps us to focus. You may just want to close your eyes and just think about the state of your heart. Am I in the pig pen? Have I gone away from God? Can I hear God speaking, calling me home? Think about your life. Think about the decisions that you've made up until now. And if you sense that there's something stirring in your heart, that's God and He's asking you to make a decision to come home. He's calling you by name. And if you sense that in your heart, if you've not received Jesus as your Savior, if you, you don't know what it means to have an intimate relationship with God and you would like that today, and, and what you're saying is, Andrew, I want to open my heart to this God that you're talking about. I need this abundant life. And you've never asked God into your life. I'm going to pray for you. And all you need to do today is just lift your hand where you sit. Is there anyone here that said, yeah, that's me. I'd like you to pray for me. Is there anyone? I won't embarrass you. But if you've never received Jesus and you'd like to do that, see, that's, that's the decision. Well, is it a big? Yeah, yeah, it is a big decision. It takes courage. But you know, it's a crazy decision to stay in the pig pen. And as you lift up your hand, you're saying, God, help me. Is there anyone that would do it? I'm not going to embarrass you, but I want to pray with you today. If you sense God working in your heart, just lift your hand up and let's pray together. Is there anyone here today? Anyone at all? I, I, can, I sense that God is speaking to people. I'm just going to give it a, a few more minutes. Yeah, thank you. Is there somebody else that would say, yeah, I, I need prayer? I see that one person's put their hand up. Is there someone else? Yeah, thank you. Is there somebody else that would say, yeah, that's me? Be brave today. 
It's the greatest decision that you'll ever make. Is there anyone else that say, yeah, pray for me today? It's the Father calling you. Somebody else, just quickly put your hand up. I want to pray for you. Thank you, thank you. Is there somebody else? Yeah, thank you, thank you. That's great. Once you put your hand up, you can pull it down. There are many that have put their hand up. Be brave, because God's going to meet you where you are. You know, as we pray today, something's going to change. It's going to be a whole new day for you. Thank you, thank you. I see that hand. Is there anybody else? If you haven't put your hand up and you want to respond, thank you. So Lord, today we I thank you for those who have raised their hand. And you said in your word that if we come to you, you won't cast us out. No matter what we've done, you love us. And you sent your son to die for us that we would have an intimate relationship with you. So I want you all just to pray this prayer. I'm going to pray this short prayer and just pray it after me. And if you've raised your hand, you pray this from your heart. The Bible says that the way that we come into God's kingdom or into his heart is that we pray by confessing with our mouth and believing with our heart. And he says, if you do that, if you pray from your heart, you shall be saved. God will come and make his home in your heart. So pray this prayer, Lord Jesus, you repeat that, Lord Jesus, come into my heart. Forgive me of my sin. I'm coming home today. I receive your life today. And I thank you from this day forward. You are my Lord, my Saviour, and my Father. You make all things new. I receive your forgiveness. I receive your healing. And I thank you today that I have purpose and your life. In Jesus' name, amen. And Father, you said today that as we pray that prayer, that your spirit, your life would come inside us and transform every part of our being. And I thank you, Lord God, that you have done a great work. You have touched lives and transformed people. We thank you that you're such a good father, that you love us unconditionally. Thank you, Father. In Jesus' name, amen. Give those people a great hand. Well done. I remember as a little seven or eight-year-old boy making that decision and asking Jesus into my life. It was the greatest decision I ever made, and I've never regretted it for one day. Totally changed my life.